Turn to Psalms 37. We'll read uh, three verses, starting in verse 23. The steps, verse 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have, I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I'd like to talk to you, y'all can have a seat. I'd like to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight on stepping out with the Lord or walking with God. Um, there's, there's three types of walk that I see in this passage that, that we can look at tonight. And the first one, um, and this is, this is not proud in a bad way, this is proud in a good way. We can have a proud walk. In verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. We can have a proud walk. That word delighteth means to be well pleased with. When God is well pleased with me, it makes me, it makes me proud to walk with him. It makes me want to walk with him. And, and that's a good kind of pride, or a good kind of proud. Now, there's they's a bad pride that I was full of for a long time. And God still today has a little chisel and a little pecking hammer. He's still, he's still nicking and pecking at me every day. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Amen. Um, but it's a proud walk, and we can walk that walk because of confidence, because of confidence in God. In Isaiah 45, 2, it says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Let me tell you something. God goes in front of you every step that you take, every, every mile that you drive, every, every time you get up and, and take a walk, God's already walking in front of you. I remember one time when I lived in Florida, I was just saved maybe a couple years, just back in the mid-90s. I was going to Preacher's Dad's church, and, and I took a few days off to go deer hunting. And I had me one of the hottest 79 Ford F-250s that your dad ended up with, and it had a 460 in it, cammed up, had, had headers on it, and son, that thing would pass anything but a gas station. And I got behind this semi-truck going out State Road 60 one day, going hunting, and that truck was going the speed limit. And that just wasn't happening. Well, here I am. I'm easing out. And he'd ease out. And I eased back in. I'd ease out. He'd ease out. And wouldn't let me around. I was son. Good thing I was saved. Amen. He did that two or three times. Well, the last time I went out, he went out. I come back in. And he come back in. And there's a car coming this way. And this hit me today. I knew what was going on after it happened, but it hit me today. There was somebody out in front of me, sitting higher up, could see farther ahead from where I was, that was watching out for me. He could see that car coming, and I couldn't. God is sitting up in heaven, looking out every step that we take tonight, every inch we move, and he is looking out for us, folks. That's why we can have confidence in him. Think about the, the three Hebrew boys. They, they wasn't scared to walk, step foot in that fire because they knew. They said, oh, king, our God will deliver us one way or the other, whether it's by the fire or whether, whether we, we walk out of this thing. We're not going to bow to you. Amen? We can walk with confidence in God tonight uh, because, because of a proud walk. And, and then because of our communication with God, not just our confidence, but our communication. That's our prayer and our praise. 
uh, I try to give him thanks and praise every time he does something for me. And then even when he don't. Amen? Because the Bible says to give thanks for everything. Um, think about Paul and Silas over in Acts chapter 16. If you will, turn over there if, if you've got your Bibles. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read a few verses. Um, in verse 20, let's see, verse 16 and 25. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And verse 26 says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Let me tell you something. When you're communicating with God, He's going to take care of your situation. He's going to take care of the problems or the, or the predicaments that we get ourselves in. Amen? God is awesome. God is good. God is, is, is amazing tonight, y'all. God will take care of us when we're communicating with Him. I think old Paul looked over at Silas and said, Hey, son, won't you strike us up a tune? And I think, I think Silas might have looked at Paul and said, Hey, can you remember when the good Lord saved you? And Paul says, yeah. He says, when the Savior reached down for me, when he reached way down for me, what will make you more happy than that? He reached down his hand and saved my soul. There ain't nothing, there ain't nothing that can give you more confidence than knowing that the God has saved you. And, and in that communication, talking with him, talking with him, that's that'll give you a proud walk. That's proud of what, what he's done for you. And then we have a, a powerful walk. We see uh, uh, in verse 24, in verse 24, back over in Psalms, um, says that, that uh, let, me, let me turn back over there. Lord, I lost my place. Excuse me there for a minute, folks. Amen. In verse 24 it says, though he, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. It's a powerful walk. That word hand there means uh, the open one, and it indicates power. God is all powerful tonight, and he can pick us up wherever we're at because of the compassion of God. He, he looks at us, and he has compassion on us, folks. And then because of the comfort of God. In Psalms 145.14 says, The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that bow down. God is all-powerful tonight, folks, and we can walk with a powerful walk when we're following God. And then number three, real quick, it's a provisional walk. God is a caring God. Amen? In Philippians 4.19 it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, and as long now, that's, there, there are stipulations. Now, God is going to supply all our need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Now, he ain't going to supply all of our wants. Amen? But let me say something. When you're walking with him, like that, like that good man, God got to give you your wants every now and then. But you've got to give a little bit. You have to give it all to get it all. Amen? Um, tonight, I just wanted you to see that walking with the Lord, or stepping out with God, is the only way to go. Amen? Amen.
All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke 18. Luke 18. That was a good message, wasn't it? Man, Brother Doyle did a great job. Luke 18. We're going to start in verse 9 of Luke 18. And it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. They were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Lord, I pray right now that you'd help me, use me, anoint me for your glory. I pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know about y'all, but uh, middle school was kind of tough for me. Uh, I think it's an awkward age for a lot of people, a lot of kids. Uh, some of y'all may have known my story. I, I've told you this before. I was a about 40 pounds overweight, uh, which maybe is still today, um, but I was 40 pounds overweight, had glasses, braces, and a really bad haircut. And so you can imagine um, that I was a target of a lot of um, uh, snickers and pointing and laughing, and, uh, and, and people said some really hurtful things to me in middle school, and, and it hurt. And so you hear these things over and over, and people are laughing at you all the time, and so you try to be funny, so you think in your mind, if, I, if, I, if I, they start laughing with me, maybe they'll stop laughing at me. And then you think to yourself, well, if, if no one's going to say something nice to me, I better start saying some nice things about myself. So I started to tell myself, you know what, I am smart. You know, I am athletic. You know, I am cool. You know, I, 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 am, I, am, I'm, I can do this or I can do that. You start telling yourself that over and over and over. And what gets dangerous is sometimes you start to believe your own hype. And it's not just about I'm smart, but I'm smarter than her. And sometimes it's not about I'm, 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 I'm athletic, but I'm more athletic than him. And you know, I'm funny, but I'm much funnier than him. And we start to compare ourselves. And we start to look at people and we start to put in a place of saying, it's not just about what I am, it's about what they're not and what I am. And so the title of my message today is, which one are you? Which one are you? We're going to look at two different individuals in this message. We're going to look at a Pharisee and we're looking at a publican. And we're going to see which one are you, which one am I, and who do we really identify the most? So there are two comparisons in this portion of Scripture. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So the first comparison we see is we see a person that is a comparison to others. Their comparison is based upon what I see. I'm not like that person, and I'm not like that person, and I'm not like that person. I may not be perfect, but I'm better than them. 
And there's also not only what others are doing, but what others are not doing. God, I do this. And God, I do that. And we start to, to base our righteousness and we base our, 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 our view and, and, and who we are based upon what I'm doing, what other people aren't. So that's what the Pharisee says. The Pharisee says, you know what, it's about that I'm better than them because of what I'm doing. And then we see the publican. Verse 13, and the publican, standing afar off, will not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In this comparison, there's not a comparison to others. There's a comparison to God. That comparison is to say, you know what? When I look at God, I see my sinful condition. I see that I'm a sinner. And not only do when I see God, I say, because I am a sinner, when I compare myself to God, I, I need him. I need him. I can't do anything on my own. I am not worthy to do anything in comparison to him. So what's the results of that? What's the results of that? What comes into verse 14? I tell you, this man went down to this house, talking about the publican justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, brought down. Humbled. <clears throat> and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, if I'm being honest, when I read this story, this parable, unfortunately, I see more of the Pharisee in me than the publican. Now, <clears throat> Maybe you have surveyed your own life. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting week for me. Um, I, I, I'm seeing things in my life that I'm not very happy about. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of pride. Uh, and, and maybe it started in middle school. Maybe it started earlier. Honestly, I think it's always been in me. And it's been a tough week, and God has helped me and shown me and I believe this is something that I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. Some people have that one thing. I think this is my one thing. My one thing that is going to be a constant struggle for me. Because when I look at my life and I see all the other things, and the other ways that I've justified things, treated people, whatever it may be, all of it centered around that one thing, pride. Pride. So if, if you're like me, Maybe you see some pride in your life. Maybe you see a little bit more pride than you see humility. Here's what I would encourage you to do. And what I'm trying to do myself. Stop looking around at everybody else. The way, the way you stand with everybody else, you may be better than somebody else. But that's not the standard. Everybody else is not the standard. He's the standard. Stop looking around and look up. Look up to him. 
and you look up to him and you compare yourself to a holy, righteous, perfect God, my righteousness is as filthy rags in comparison to him. So if you're there, come to God. Beg for his forgiveness. And keep the image of the cross and what Christ did for every one of us in front of you at the forefront of your minds. I would say before this week, um, I thought I knew a lot of things. I had a grandmother. I had a grandmother. Well, I, my grandmother, um, I always said I know all the time. I know, I know, I know. One time my grandmother just snapped on me. And she looked at me and said, you don't know everything. Don't ever say I know again. And I think I was in middle school when she said that. So, um, but I would have told you a week ago I knew a lot of things. And, and, and I'm ashamed to even say that, but I'm just telling the truth. I think it's important for me to be honest than to try to play a part. Um, so I thought I knew a lot of things. But you know what? Honestly, personally, all I know is this. He saved me. Hallelujah. He saved me. Old prideful beginning, he saved me anyways. I love him. I love the Lord. And I know this word is true. Don't know very much. Hope I stay that way. But I know he saved me. I know I love him. And I know the Bible is true. And now... I understand, and I know he's still working on me, <laughs> but I understand that he is everything, and I'm nothing. And anything I accomplish on this earth is only through his power alone and for his glory. I love y'all. Good job. All right, y'all can. You want to go down? Church, say amen. Man, didn't we all need to hear that? Grab your Bibles and turn to... You grabbed them. You got them. Amen. God's humbling me. Uh, Joshua chapter number 2. I'm not going to take the time to read it. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, uh, let, me, let, me just tell you, let me just tell you the story uh, of Joshua chapter number 2. Uh, this is really intriguing. It, it's so... Joshua is is like an action movie. I mean, it's got everything everything you could want in an action movie. I mean, it's got war. It's got it's got fighting. I mean, it's got blood, guts, and gore. It, it's got all of this stuff that you can imagine. It's got strategy in it. It's got everything that that calls for action and excitement and all of this stuff. But in the midst of all of this, and one of the main things that I want to read here in just a second is the judgment that is coming upon the nations that Israel's coming in to, to take back the land. Uh, a lot of people in the, in the day we live in, they look, oh, look at that Old Testament. Look at all that killing. Your God is a God of, of, of hate, and your God is talking about killing people, and they kill women, men, women, children, and all this kind of stuff. And, they, and they're comparing Christianity to ISIS and comparing Christianity to Islam and Muhammad and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Christianity is no different than, than Islam because they're killing people. Where you, your, your Bible says to kill people too. 
and, and there's, a, there's really a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. There's a misunderstanding of the truth and why the things happen the way they happen. And if you look at it, if you look at it just at face value, if you just take this one chapter out, or if you just take what God uh, does and sends the people in there to do against Jericho, and they go in and they slay everything. I mean, they totally obliterate it, they totally destroy it, and that does look harsh. I mean, that does look, oh my goodness, how, why would God do that? Why would God allow that? How, how in the world would God endorse that? But to understand that, you've got to understand that God has given them a time of grace. And this is truly, not only is this a promise of God bringing in the nation of Israel, but in the process of doing that, in the sovereignty of God, God is judging those nations. He's judging Jericho. He's judging the city of Ai. He's judging the Amorites and the Perizzites and all of the other nations that are here in this particular place. And, but in the midst of all this judgment, in the midst of all of this destruction, in the midst of all of this pain, in the midst of all of this sorrow and suffering and, 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 and war, right in the middle of it, or actually in, in the beginning of it, we have Joshua chapter number 2. And it almost stands out like, what is this here for? I mean, it's almost like a commercial in the middle of an action movie. It's just here. It just happens to be in the way. It's just a chapter that puts everything else together. God has commissioned Joshua. He's got the people ready. They're fired up, ready to go. And all of a sudden, you got a story about a prostitute. You have a story about a harlot and, 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 and her rescuing these two spies that go in. So where does that, what is the deal with that? Why would God put that in there? How many of y'all know tonight there's nothing, there's nothing in the Bible by accident? God has a purpose for everything. And when you study this story, when you study this story, I, I was looking over it and reading over it and reading over it because I've heard messages out of this and it's, it's, it's really cool. You find in the midst of judgment, there's grace. In the midst of destruction, there's salvation. In the midst of all that's going on here, it's like, it's like the storm is raging in the, in the hurricane and all of a sudden the eye of the storm, there's a peace, there's a calm. All of a sudden we see a part of God. If you read it, it's like God is saying, you're fixing to see a side of me that most people don't want to see. You're fixing to see a side of judgment. You're fixing to see a side of justice. You're fixing to see a side of righteous indignation and God's anger and wrath pouring himself out upon these nations and he's fixing to destroy these nations. But before you see that side of me, I want you to see my grace. And I want you to see my mercy. So here we find the story. And as you read it at home, you'll see Joshua commissions two spies to go into, the, into Jericho. Jericho is the first city in the promised land. And these two spies go in, and there is a, there is a harlot who has a house on the walls. Uh, the, our, our archaeologists have, have been recovering this and studying this, and, and they believe that there was, there was two walls. There was an inner wall and an outer wall. The inner wall was about 12 feet wide, 12 feet thick. The outer wall about 6 feet thick and about 30 feet high, all the way around the city of Jericho. City of Jericho was is about the space of eight acres. They 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 guess and they presume, and her house was in the walls. They would build houses, kind of like apartments, in in the walls of the city. 
And many times travelers would come through and, and would spend time uh, uh, at, at a harlot's house. Sometimes she would have like an inn there. And, 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 and the immorality part's there. So don't, don't guess. There, there's been some commentators saying, you know, well, she was just an innkeeper. That's not so. That's not so. You put all the Bible, the New Testament with it, it the, the New Testament uses the words that, that refer to a prostitute. She was a very immoral woman. Now, the spies were not going here to, for that particular activity. They were going there to be inconspicuous because they were spies. They did not want to be caught. If they were caught, they would have been executed. And she hid them. She took them into her, her home and hid them. The king found out that they were there and sent men to try to retrieve them. And she lied about it which was not right to do, but she lied about it. She said, no, they're not here. You need to go. They went off this way, so, so forth and so on. And, and, and then uh, when they leave, she goes and she talks to them. She talks to them and she says, listen, we've done heard all about you. We've heard all about you. Man, when we heard all about you, our hearts just melted. Fear has overtaken us. And we know, or she says, I know, not we, I know that your God is the God. Your God is the Lord. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the God of heaven and He is the God of the earth. He is the real deal. And we know you're coming. And we know God has given you this land. But I want to ask you something. Since I've been kind to you, will you please, will you please be kind to me? Will you please rescue my family? Will you please secure the people who are my family and my kinfolk. And they said, your life for ours. You just risk your life for ours, we'll risk ours for yours. And they, she let them out of the window, over the wall, with a scarlet thread. And listen, actually a scarlet rope, it was entwined. And, and, and this is what they told her. They said, if you will hold this, or you will tie this, this cord outside of this window this scarlet cord, this will be a sign, this will be a token. And listen, you bring everybody you want to save, everybody you want to keep alive, you bring them into this house, not anybody else, anybody, you bring them into this house, the house with the scarlet cord. And anybody in the house that's in the house, when we come, they will be safe. But if anybody leaves the house, if anybody strays away, if anybody goes outside of the safety of the house with the scarlet thread and the scarlet cord, their blood will be on their own hands. This is the promise in the covenant we're making with you. Now, here's what I want to do tonight. In the time we have tonight, I want you to see this because this is so important with this chapter. Throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, you'll find that God always, sometimes, He'll put a story in the middle of a story. And each story will always represent what God is wanting to do for mankind. In other words, you can see salvation in everything. You look at the story of Mephibosheth. Man, if that's not a picture of salvation, you have David 
as a type of the sovereign God in heaven. You have Mephibosheth as a type of the broken sinner. You have Jonathan, who is a type of the Son of God. And because David was good to Mephibosheth because of Jonathan's sake. And you have Ziba, the servant. He's a type of the Holy Spirit in salvation. And then you have the story of Esther. And you have the story of Ruth and Boaz. And, and he's a type of the kinsman redeemer. And it's always God using peoples and God using situations and God using stories to describe salvation to you to describe his redemption plan to you because all through the bible it doesn't matter what the story is it doesn't matter what book of the bible is god wants you to know for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life god is a loving god we are broken sinners and we need a loving savior and he'll save us all say amen here we see a few things about this woman that I want you to see. Only two, only two women are named in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter number 11. Rahab and Sarah. Sarah is known for her, for her, really, her righteousness and her holiness and her body was dedicated to God and used for the glory of God to bring about the seed of Abraham and to bring about the nation of Israel. And everything we know about Sarah is glorious. But Rahab was a wicked woman. Rahab used her body for impure purposes. But, <laughs> woo. but God used her to show you a picture that no matter how high you are, He can save you. But no matter how low you are, He can save you. That's good stuff. Amen? Listen, here's your notes. Three things. No, how many things I got? However many things on that paper, that's what we got. Amen? Four of them. Four of them. Let's do this quick. Four of them. Number one, I want you to see her past. I want you to see her past. The Bible says she was a harlot. She was a harlot. Two things, two things I want you to see about her past. First is the extent of her past. The extent of her past. How bad was she, preacher? Well, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. We'll use that word. Uh, she was a prostitute, but she was also a pagan. As a, as a prostitute, she was, she was uh, morally bankrupt. But as a pagan, she was spiritually bankrupt. Here's the thing. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, there, there's, some, there's some bankrupt people in this world. There's some, there's some sure enough bankrupt people. There's some people in this world that are wicked beyond imagination, that does wicked things, that lives in a wicked way. But let me tell you something. You can, be, you can be morally bankrupt, but there's another thing to be spiritually bankrupt. When you are living in a culture and you're living in a society that does not even believe in the one true God, does not even know the one true God, you're in dangerous territory. Now let me read the verses that I had for you. I don't think y'all have them back there, guys. So, so let, me just, let me just read this. And this, this will kind of help you understand what God was doing when he sent the nation in. Listen, the Bible says in Genesis 15, 13, 
It says, and he said to Abram. Now, now remember, this is before Abraham ever had Isaac. This is before the nation of Israel was ever a nation. There was nobody. It was just Abraham. God has promised him a seed. God has promised him the heirs that he would make a great nation out of him. Now, watch what he says. This is very important that we get this. To really understand the significance and understand why God did some of the things he did in the Old Testament. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Now, that's the nation of Israel in Egypt. Y'all follow me? He's talking about that's a, that is a prophetic utterance of one day your family is going to be in Egypt and they're going to be slaves. Okay? Now, watch. It says, and they, this is in Genesis 15, 13, by the way. They're going to be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and they shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. Say that with me. 400 years. Say it again. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Did he not judge Egypt? And afterward they come out with a great substance. Do you realize that the nation of Israel spoiled the Egyptians when they left out of Egypt? God gave them favor with everybody and they took their gold and they took their silver and they took their substance. What was God doing? He was paying them back for 400 years of slavery. Are y'all with me? Now watch. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Now watch this. Here it is. Here it is. This is where it all makes sense. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. Talking about to the promised land. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. All right? Now watch. 400 years, or actually a lot longer than that. After, after Israel and, 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 and Joseph and, and all of uh, uh, Jacob and his family go to Egypt, and, and here they are for 400 years. They're in the nation of Egypt, and now they're being delivered. Now they're going to the promised land. He said, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey, so forth and so on. Are you with me right there? Now watch. Now watch. Deuteronomy chapter number 9. Deuteronomy chapter number 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself. Cities great and fenced up to heaven, a great people, tall and great, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest and whom thou hast heard, who, who can stand before the children of Anak. They were giants, by the way. Understand, therefore, this day, that the Lord thy God is he which, bring, which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire, he shall destroy them. He shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said unto thee. Speak not thou in thine heart. Now watch this. Now he's going to give him the reason why. Speak not thou in thine heart after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. In other words, God's saying, I'm not doing this because you good. I'm not doing this because you earned it. I'm not doing this because you've done anything to deserve anything I'm going to do for you. This is why I'm doing it. I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to be as a consuming fire for the wickedness of these nations. The Lord 
doth drive them out before thee. Now please get this. For 400 years, God was patient with these nations. For 400 years, God was waiting. For 400 years, He was postponing judgment. He told Abraham, He said that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, they're building up to judgment, but not yet. Maybe they will change. Maybe they will turn. Maybe they will see the wickedness of their ways. Maybe they will believe on me. Maybe they will, they will turn from all of these false idols and all of this wickedness and debauchery and unbelievably, unbelievably immoral behavior. But they didn't. They didn't believe in the true God. They didn't believe in Jehovah, in their wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah was Disneyland compared to some of these cities. And the Bible says he judged them because of their wickedness. So when we say, why would God do this? Why would a loving God do this to these nations? Because he gave them 400 years to repent, and they refused. Now let me say this. I believe in a loving God. I believe in a merciful God. I believe in the God that sent his only begotten son to die for me. I believe in the God whose Son said, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I believe in that God. I believe He is merciful. I believe He is full of grace. And I believe He is full of love. But we got to understand, there's another side of Him that you cannot divorce from the other. He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of purity. He's a God of judgment. And I'm here to tell you, sin will will be judged. You say, why are you saying all this? Because she was a pagan. And because she was a pagan, she was under condemnation. She was born into condemnation. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, I arrived broken. You didn't have to tell a lie to become a sinner. You didn't have to steal a car to become a sinner. You didn't have to kill somebody to become a sinner. The moment you took your first breath, you arrived broken. Where all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care what your pedigree is. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. Without Christ, you're a sinner and you're under condemnation. God said in John chapter number 3, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. She's in a state of condemnation because of her past. We all want to look at the prostitute part, but I'll tell you the worst part was the pagan part. She was a pagan the extent of her past, then the, then the effects. She's under condemnation. She's going to die. God is going to judge. And if you'll go look, if you'll go look, skip on a few, 
uh, uh, chapters in Joshua, you'll find out that they killed every single human being in the city that was not in that house. Every single, listen, well, uh, uh, the, the, the sheep and the oxen, everything was under condemnation. She was a sinner. But not just her past, but I want you to see number two. <clears throat> if you're taking notes, I want you to see her proclamation. Her proclamation. Look what she says in Joshua chapter number 2. It says in your notes, if you'll just follow along with your notes, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, it says, now watch how this, watch how this progresses. Watch how this progresses. This is, this, is, this is salvation in a nutshell. This is great. Watch this. Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. For we have... Come on, everybody. For we have, we've heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the kings of Amphitryon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Read the first four words with me. For, all right, here's the thing. Her proclamation, A, was a proclamation of facts. Facts. We have heard what happened she heard about the one true god you see this is where the word comes in faith cometh by hearing and hearing by where does salvation start with the facts salvation doesn't start when you have a a near-death experience Salvation doesn't start when you decide, I think I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Salvation starts with the Word of God. If it didn't start with the Word of God, it was not salvation. It starts with the Word of God. Are y'all with me? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Somewhere along the line, they've got to hear the Word. Somewhere along the line, they need to know that there is a God in heaven. They need to know that they're a sinner and they're on their way to hell under condemnation. Somewhere down the road, they need to learn that there was a man by the name of Jesus who was God's son who came to this earth. And listen, in the incarnation, and he took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He died on an old rugged cross, shed his precious blood for our sins, and will wash our sin away. Somewhere along the line, we got to hear the word. See, it was a proclamation of facts. She said, I have heard. Watch this. B, not only was it a proclamation of facts, but it was a proclamation of fear. Look at look in verse 11. Look in verse 11. This is, this is just, I, you can't even get no more, just right exactly the way it is. Watch this. And as soon as we, what? As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did... You see, that's a proclamation of fear. What happens after you hear the word? You feel convicted. If you don't have old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction, you didn't get it. The Bible says no man can come unto the Father unless he is drawn. In other words, the Holy Spirit has to draw you. The Holy Spirit has to reveal to you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm telling you, 
Conviction is real. That's the problem in churches today. They just want to dance around everything. They don't want to tell the truth. I've been nervous, I'm telling you, because I've been pretty, pretty, pretty just, just, just tough lately. I'm thinking, God, they ain't going to come back after that one. But you know what? If we don't hear the truth, we won't be convicted. And if we're not getting convicted, we're not going to change. Now, we can go ahead and serve a milk toast truth and something that's watered down like most people want to do to save people or help people or keep people. Listen, they don't want nobody to get mad. But I'm telling you, we need somebody to tell the truth. They needed a messenger to come say, hey, God's people's coming and they're destroying everything in their way. They needed to hear the truth because the truth is what turned their heart and melted their heart. I don't know about you, but I was a sinner without God and I needed my heart melted. I needed my heart convicted. I needed God to show me exactly who I was. Sometimes we don't want to hear that that pride that Brother Buchanan was talking about a while ago. I didn't like hearing stuff like that. I didn't want to hear stuff like that. But I didn't change until I was convicted. Amen? She said, as soon as I heard, that's the facts. My heart melted. That's the fear. That's the conviction of salvation. You see how the word works in salvation? And in fear, the conviction works in salvation. And then thirdly, look here. Not only a proclamation of facts, a proclamation of fear, but then a proclamation of faith. Look what she says. This is so good. I'm, I'm liking it if nobody's liking it. <clears throat> look what it says. It says in verse 11. Are you all there? For the Lord your God. He is, that's enough. Did you notice how, did you notice how she addressed him? The Lord. Preacher, what point are you making? She is saved already. She had placed her faith in the God she heard about. And she knew he the one. The Lord. In other words, that one you following, he's better than the ones we've been following. Because he's real. What is significant about Rahab? What, what, what is so significant about Rahab that God would, God would put her in the faith hall of fame? It's just what I just said. Her faith. Now we know her actions and what she did to, to preserve those two spies. But why did she do that? Because she had already placed her faith in the, in the God who had called them. Are y'all with me? Faith. What will change your life? Faith. But where is that faith going to come from? When you hear the facts and God convicts your heart and then you have to make a choice to believe the facts you've been presented with. And all God's people say it. Watch this. Number, what number? Three. Number three. Don't you see her practice? Her practice. Now I see the clock. There we go. We're good shaped guys. We're like ahead of time. Her faith, her faith produced works. 
she hid she hid those spies and preserved and and delivered them saved them now watch look what it says you say how do you know this has to do with her faith because james said something about it in james chapter number two verse number 25 it says likewise also was not rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also now what does that mean if you go read that whole chapter, you'll find out James is trying to teach something about faith and works. And, and, if, you, and if you misstudy it and misread it, you're going to get the wrong impression. If you don't read it right and you don't study it right, you're going to think that James is telling you that you're saved by works. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is if the faith that you claim you had does not produce works, then you have a dead faith. Faith without works is dead. Does that make sense? In other words, if your faith is real, if you have a true and living faith, it's going to produce works in your life. There will be a difference in your life. There will be something happen on the inside that will affect the outside. You won't live the same. You won't talk the same. You won't act the same. You're not going to be perfect by no means. we got a lot we need to work on, our pride and all these other issues. But I'm here to tell you, something will be different. Her faith produced works. She did something about her situation. She did something to deliver these men. It was her faith and action believing that these men were come from God. What's the point? If your faith hasn't changed your life, I'd check it. And if you if you don't have some kind of desire to serve God, I'd check that too. Now let me say this. <clears throat> let me say this. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible if your battery run down. Because there's times in my life I don't want to serve nobody. Matter of fact, there's times I don't want to see nobody. Man, ain't y'all spiritual. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Yeah. So don't, 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 don't leave because you just may be in a rough patch right now. Oh, the preacher said I wasn't saved because I don't want to do nothing. That's not what I'm saying. Does everybody understand what I'm trying to say here? But if there has been absolutely no kind of spiritual appetite whatsoever, spiritual desire whatsoever, no kind of drive to be different, no, tra- no kind of drive to do something for God, and I'm not talking about... You know, Everybody thinks that that means you, know, you sell everything and you go to Africa. That, no, I'm, I'm just saying, is there something there that tells you that you want to do something for God? Because true faith will produce works. It did with her. But watch this. There's another thing it'll do. There's another thing it'll do. True faith will produce a burden. I have a hard time with people who don't care about other people being lost. Now, now, follow what I'm saying here, because I, I, you know, I, I know there's sometimes I've had evangelists come and or missionaries come, and 
Bless God, if you're not on the street corner every day and shouting, you're all going to hell. If you don't get saved, then you're not a good Christian. I'm not saying that. Because I don't go into every restaurant. I, 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 I went into one uh, 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 recently, and, and, and that, that, that lady come in. I'm uh, just one person, you know, and, and, and she was following me. And I, I was hoping they wouldn't put me at one of them skinny ones. <clears throat> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Them boosters on like this wide that if you, if you like, you know, have a spasm or something, you fall out the chair. Y'all you know what I'm saying? I hate them things. I know I'm just one person, but get me in a big seat, amen? And she just went right on, right on, and kept on going. I'm thinking, man, she's going to carry me. Everybody's watching me. And, I, and she went all the way around the other end, around the corner. I, I said, this is perfect. Nobody can see me, amen? I get that. I, 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 the, the shyness and not that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to be an evangelist. I'm not saying you have to walk around holding your Bible on your hand everywhere you, you go. But do you have a burden, at least for your family? Do you have a burden for your loved ones? See, she, she didn't just say, will you let me go free? She said, man, I got a daddy, and I got, I got a mom, and I got some sisters, and I got some brothers. Well, hey, you know what true faith will do? It'll give you a burden for those who need to be saved. Is this not a clear picture of salvation or what? Listen, her practice. Faith will produce works. Faith will produce a burden. And lastly, we see her promise. <clears throat> you know, you could, really, you could really run to town with this one, this scarlet thread. You know, colors, you, 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 you apply things. You know, the scarlet depicts, you know, blood. We see two things. Write these things down and we'll, we'll pray. Uh, there, is a, there is a symbolic token here. She says, man, you got to leave me a token. You got to leave me a sign. Man, you got you to do something for me. There, there's a symbolic token he said, well, I tell you what, this rope you let us out with, this scarlet, and, and remember, nothing in the Bible is by accident. There, he could have just said this rope. But several times you hear the word scarlet. This is, this is a symbolic token. He said, preacher, what are you saying? Now watch. This scarlet-colored rope marked this safe house. And anybody that comes into the safe house will be delivered. Anybody under the covering of the safe house. So what does that remind you of? There was another token spoken of. Look, look, in, your, look in your notes. The Bible says in, in Exodus chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 13, are you there? Now this is when the nation of Israel is, is coming out of Egypt and God is going to send that last plague. He's going to send the death angel. In other words, judgment is coming upon the area. And he said, listen, you got to take the blood of a lamb, and you got to put it on the doorpost and the lintel. And listen, anybody inside of this house where the blood is applied, anybody there will be delivered. Anybody there will be safe. Anybody there will be okay. But if they come out, 
The death angel will destroy them. Judgment will come. But he says this, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Listen, there is a spiritual truth that's sitting right here. We are under judgment. We are under condemnation. And the only way we're going to escape judgment, the only way we're going to escape condemnation, it's going to be by a scarlet thread of truth that Jesus himself died on an old rugged cross and he shed his crimson scarlet colored blood for our sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. Somebody say amen. As long as you're in the safe house, you're all right. Stay in the house. And you know what? I went ahead and read up. I know we ain't there yet, but I cheated. (laughs) Guess what? When the walls came tumbling down, they is safe and sound. Let me go ahead and tell you this part. Because I got two minutes. <clears throat> Do you realize? I got to see how many greats I got. If I got it right, she's either the great or the great great grandmother to King David. I'm talking about a harlot. I'm talking about the lowest one on the lowest rung of the ladder. God put in the family of a king. And not just any king. Because if you go to the New Testament and work on down that family tree, she's in the family of God's son. Preacher, what are you saying? I don't care how bad a sinner you are here tonight. And let me say this. I don't care how good a sinner you are here tonight. It don't matter. We're all under condemnation. It's amazing. It's amazing. I watch people in church. Y'all don't know that. But my eye's on you. And you let... You let someone walk in this building. And it ain't as bad here, but some of y'all got issues. It's a lot worse than other churches, but there's enough, there's enough messed up people at Temple, it's not that big a deal. But you let somebody that's messed up in town, because Coleman's small enough, you'll know them. You'll see the eyes. You'll hear the whispers. Well, guess what? That one that you think's really bad? Well, how could he do what he did? I can't believe she'd have the nerve to show her face. Guess what? You ain't no better. I tell you what. If, 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 if they can't be welcome at Temple, you tell me where they're going to go. I don't care what they are. I don't care if they're a church member, Sunday school teacher, deacon, or preacher. If you mess up, you mess up. 
We got to, man, Brother Buchanan said it perfect. Who are we to look over and think we're better than that person? God reached down and t- touched a harlot. Guess what? I ain't got no time, but I'm going to tell you this. <clears throat> she was a prostitute pagan. But I guarantee you, there was a high society lady who had upstanding credentials. But she was a pagan. And she died in judgment. There was probably one morally pure, but spiritually bankrupt. So before you get all high and mighty and jump on your high horse and all that, just remember, God can knock you off your horse. How you know? Because I got the bruises. Let's be honest a minute. Guys, we're all family here tonight, right? Let's, how, many, how many of y'all in here, God's knocked you off your horse before? So anytime, a matter of fact, when somebody has messed up and comes in here, you should be the first running them and say, man, I'm so glad to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd want somebody to do that for me. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Lowest rung of the ladder. God yeah. searched her out. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had time to talk about this. <laughs> Ooh. The grace of God is so awesome. So awesome. The harlot that was saved by the scarlet. Can we give God praise and glory? Can we? Awesome job. Awesome job. You, I can't. Yep, there he is. Awesome job, Buchanan. Very good. Man, this, you see how all this just went together? Just great. Let's pray. Somebody, hang on a minute. Let's don't pray. Uh, I got something to do. See, I almost forgot. I told you I'd forget. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right. How many of y'all are glad Tiffany Garrison is coming and joining up with Temple Baptist Church on a Wednesday night? Can we give God praise right there? Yes. And all God's people say it. All right. Dave, I want to see you. And if Alan's up there somewhere, been over from them kidney stones, find him. And, uh, and Tony, you too. Y'all, y'all come up here just a second, all right? Lord, thank you so much for your blessings and your